what is salvation and what does it require? According to Paul, in many of his letters, to be saved is to be justified by Christ. It's to be sanctified and one day glorified. But what do these terms mean? I think Paul explains them a lot in books like Romans, but also we get a snippet here in Titus. So welcome to the Bread and Butter podcast. I'm Casey. And I'm Kelsey. And we are the Butterfields, here to take you through Titus Part 2. So today we'll be discussing and making some discoveries from Titus 2.11 all the way to the very end of this little epistle. So all the way to 3.15. Last week, what are some things that we talked about in the first part of Titus? So we went through chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 through verse 10. And there's a few things we talked about. The opening of looking at godliness, walking out in truth that's in hope of eternal life. That's going to come up again today and what we'll look at. We also went into the different qualifications for elders, overseers, the emphasis on the family units, on being totally above board, uh, no room for accusation or wrongdoing, and also this contrast of those who are uh, perhaps like the Cretans or like the circumcision party, both very opposite, but have the same type of characteristic, which is being not pure but causing dissension causing a lack of truth and that the purpose of rebuking such people is actually to bring them into the light that they may be sound in the faith is what he says and rebuke has that connotation of not shaming someone but actually bringing things into the light for their own good and how Paul closes this part of the text is by giving instruction to Titus who would himself be under that group of younger men that's listed, but how each part of the church has a part to play in this acting out of truth that accords with godliness and living in hope of eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the main things we talked about, you said, was rebuking and how sometimes we think of that word in a really negative connotation, Mm -hmm. but all that it means is to expose, to shine a light on the darkness. And I don't know if you've ever tried to shine a flashlight on a shadow, but what (laughs) happens to that shadow? Uh, It doesn't exist (laughs) once you do that. It immediately doesn't exist. Or like, I think of walking back from a campsite in the dark. It... If you're shining a light in the darkness, it makes it into light. It doesn't really allow for anything else. Yeah. So a good way to think about rebuking, we talked about this last week, but we went to John three sixteen through 21. And in John three nineteen, Jesus, talking about himself, says, The light has come into the world, and the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. He goes on to say, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Mm. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And that, that last part is, I think, what sanctification is, is your works being carried out in God. You're a whole new creation. Um, so... 
with that, that's the connotation we have for rebuking. And rebuking, bringing correction, is the first part of Titus. So Titus mm-hmm. 1, 1 through 2, 10. And Titus 2, 11, all the way through three fifteen, it's all about why you should rebuke. Mm-hmm. It's the theology. And Paul goes on to explain to Titus some expert level theology and we're going to break it down to you in really simple words so kelsey you want to start us off with some amazing things in verses 2 11 through 14 yeah there's one particular thing that we'll look at just in this paragraph to simplify things but there's some really deep truths here that you can dig into and even link to some past things that paul's already talked about So 2 verse 11 is where we're at, and we're keeping all the things that we talked about last podcast just in the back of our minds as we're reading this of what good works looks like for this church in Crete. So it states at the beginning, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Wait, when? In the present. Okay. Yeah. Which sounds just like what we've talked about already before. So let's... I want to read the next part too so we get a full picture. So, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it gives a, a purpose at the end there that we'll look at as well. So, something that we looked at our first podcast on Titus was in that paragraph in chapter 1... If you have your Bibles open, you see something that we talked about was this hope of eternal life. And what sort of tense does that sound like? It sounds like we're waiting for the future. Yeah, it sounds like we're waiting for the future. Uh, And also in verse 2, you have another tense that says, God who never lies promised before the ages began. So past future thing, past thing. But then when we get forward to... 2 verse 11, which really starts the theology of Titus, uh, there's an interesting thing that Paul does here when he refers to grace and when he refers to Jesus coming in the future. So look at verse 11. It says, grace of God has appeared. And go forward to the middle of 2 verse 13. You'll see, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So grace has appeared and we're waiting for the appearing essentially again of Christ. Mm -hmm. And what Paul seems to be doing with that, and if we equate this to what grace really means in its full definition, is that grace is Jesus. We have seen grace appear in Christ. He is the fullest definition of what grace is and he's also going to appear again. So like the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Um, Our understanding of grace can sometimes be just really jumping to application here. Uh, Our understanding of grace can sometimes be not the fullness of it. Like um, we think of grace, like, do I need grace for myself? Do I need grace for others? Like we think of it as a very, just a word that we use pretty often or, Uh, referring to maybe difficult things or less difficult things and if we can have grace on ourselves like that's usually how it's used it's just a term Uh, but how Paul refers to grace is that grace is Christ the appearing of grace 
is Christ and that's it. And that's really the only true definition of grace that we can have. So grace isn't just an idea. It's a reality. It's the person of Jesus. And he appeared once. He's with us. His grace is with us because the Holy Spirit's with us. And we're waiting for him to appear again. Mm -hmm. So that's what brings us into that stated purpose at 2.14. Where it says he gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And the word possession here, I think, uh, we typically don't like it when people are referred to as possessions, I would say. Um, yeah. But it, you have to think of this here in what Christ does. He, he is grace. He has appeared. And he is making people who were lawless. We're going to see they're described as like passing their days in malice and envy. Like, like a craftsman shaping and forming these pictures of him essentially is what we are into something that is beautiful and good and zealous for good works. We've seen that so far in the past few chapters that good works are something that testify to this hope of eternal life that we have, that Christ has made us new and he's making us new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really what you're saying is Titus two eleven through 14 is all about, Jesus, the person who is grace and grace mm -hmm. appeared training. So he appeared, but he's training now. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> those who live in this present age, the end of verse 12 are beginning of verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope for the appearing of Christ to return again. Yeah. And um, what does waiting mean? It means being a people who are zealous for good works. It's being people that live out godly lives that are based in the truth. Yeah. And Paul actually tells us, he tells Titus, how to wait and how to instruct the church in Crete, or it sounds like churches, because there's elders and overseers in every town. At least elders in every town, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So Paul instructs Titus... Um, in how to wait and how to tell others to wait. And Paul starts to do this in 3.1. Before we move on, is there anything else you want to say about... I think just keep these things in the backdrop as we look at 3 verse 1, that really big paragraph there, because this concept of grace as a reality, grace is Jesus, sets the scene for what Paul's going to unpack in the next part. Yeah. So Titus 3.1. Paul starts off here kind of with a weird statement. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, and so on and so on. So how do we wait? Apparently, we're supposed to be submissive to rulers and authorities. What does that mean? We'll get into that in just a moment. Paul actually doesn't really say what it means but paul gives a reason why he's saying this in verse three he says for we were once foolish he's talking about himself he's talking about titus and timothy and the people who are mentioned in this letter by name you, you'll see a bunch of names in 3 12 through 14 and he's just talking about all of his affiliates named or unnamed mm -hmm. 
Christians were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This imagery, if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, you could just think straight back to Cain and Abel and all the way through what Genesis chapter 7 when Mm -hmm. it rains for this hatred compounding evil murder a bunch of different things yeah yeah so there's a really old-fashioned word an old-fashioned English word called it's it's pronounced rive (laughs) and Hmm. rive means to tear apart so in Genesis what like three, four, really four through seven, you see, you know, Cain gets incredibly jealous and his jealousy turns to hatred and ends up leading him to murder his brother, Abel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was worried I got those backwards for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That would be embarrassing. But then this pattern continues and humanity becomes increasingly evil. And that's the reality of living in what we refer to in the church a lot as a fallen world. Mm -hmm. And that's really Christianese. That's just referring to after Genesis 3, humanity became something less than human, as Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis writes um, after the fall. So what grace appeared doing in 2.11 through 14 is training us to be actually more human more like we were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And if those terms are confusing you, then you can just think grace appeared to bring us into new life. Mm -hmm. So we are completely new creations. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And at the beginning of this episode, we kind of gave you a snapshot. Some of the main themes here are justification and sanctification. And Paul actually goes on to define those things yeah and it starts in three verse three so just a note here is that it doesn't use the word sanctification however if you were to look this up in any biblical resource uh of course the text does say justification but the process where it says like training us to renounce ungodliness being washed by the holy spirit those sorts of things are all terms that theology-wise, refers to what's called sanctification. So that's where we're getting that term from. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump through a few verses here. So 3.3, we were once foolish. 3.4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. And then Paul makes a note here in 3.5. He says, Jesus saved us not because of our good works, but according to his own mercy. So just remember, Paul has the same mindset that um, Jesus himself was explaining in John three nineteen through the end of that paragraph in John 3. That the works of humanity, they seem to be evil on them by, by themselves. Yeah, if you're passing your days in malice, uh, yeah, that's fair for sure. (laughs) Yeah, but works done in God are actually holy and they're by his power. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, this is where where I'm bringing, where I'm getting this term sanctification from. Paul goes on to say that Jesus saved us. This is still in verse 5. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
whom he poured out. Okay, okay, so pause. Are we saved by the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit? I mean, not not quite, but It depends Paul... on what you think saved means, because yeah, saved, like we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And part of where you can see that theology presents itself to is absolutely in this paragraph and also in other books that Paul's written, like in Romans chapter 5 and 6, it explains this really well as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is part of the salvation process, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. So in verse 7, this all comes together. Paul says, So that being justified by his grace, justified by the grace of Jesus, that's a courtroom term. That means that we were guilty and Jesus justified us. Declared righteous. Yeah, we, we have been declared righteous by Jesus. Um. So verse seven, so that being declared righteous by his grace, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. So right here, this may be really confusing, but when Paul is just talking about in verse five, he saved us. That's Jesus Christ justified us. He declared us righteous. Grace appeared. Grace (laughs) appeared, right? Um, And then later on at the end of verse five, when he says, He did this by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That's referring to being saved. And that's the process of sanctification. Now, sanctification, we have two definitions for it, and they're really quite different. One of them is to be holy and set apart, to be made holy and set apart. And the other one really is quite similar, but it's just to, like, grow. Mm -hmm. Um, Grow up into holiness. We see that kind of term used in like Ephesians 4. Um, but so I guess these are actually more similar than I first was trying to say. But the point is that we were justified and and this salvation being justified, declared righteous by Jesus, this actually requires some participation from us. But we're not alone, actually. We have the Holy Spirit who's also renewing our minds, who's training us, and we see that right here in verse uh, 5. Washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So this is saved. We are being saved. And then we will be saved at the end of verse 7, according to the hope of eternal life. So this is one thing that's really interesting. And a lot of the, actually, I think, all of the contributors to the New Testament kind of have this weird, what we would call inauguration eschatology. Eschatology is referring to end times. So all that this means when we're talking about hope of eternal life, we're asking the question, what are we saved from at the very end? Mm -hmm. So we are saved as in we're justified. We are being saved as in we are being sanctified. That's this journey with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then we will be saved from what? From From judgment. And when Christ returns. yeah. Yeah. And that's death and sin. That's everything. So we'll be completely removed from sin and have eternal life with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a main idea in the gospel of John. You cannot Mm -hmm. read John without walking away with this perspective that 
Jesus came to bring eternal life. That's in John 20, mm-hmm. 30 through 31. Just like John wrote the gospel so that we would believe and have okay. eternal life. Yeah. In his name? Yeah. So this is the thing, like you, Christian, or if you're not a Christian, what we what we believe is that the moment of salvation, you become a new creature. So you give your life over to Jesus, you accept justification in him, and that's when eternal life starts. So it actually starts when in this age. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why Paul makes that clarification. Already begun. Yeah, he makes that distinction back in verse 12. In this age, we have hope. And in this age, we have been justified if we accept Christ. In this age, we will be sanctified. So we're participating in that justified lifestyle. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 8, this saying is trustworthy. So if you're reading this in your Bibles, you're like, wait a minute, what saying? You've just said so much, Paul. (laughs) And that's kind of the point. So what whole saying. (laughs) Yeah, so what Paul has said is, you are justified in Christ. You are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, by the community who is raising you up to be holy. By the way, the community of believers all has the Holy Spirit in us. Pretty cool. And then you will be saved from judgment, mm-hmm. final judgment. That's the saying that is trustworthy in layman's terms. Um, and in verse 9, Paul gives young Titus one final little instruction which sounds really similar to what he's already said in the previous division that we looked at in the end of chapter one. Yeah. Like, don't have anything to do with these things. Rebuke people that they may come into the light. Um, not this shaming type of thing that we talked about. But he's going to say something really similar. Uh, like, if somebody stirs up division in verse 10 after warning them once, then twice. So giving them actually a chance to turn repent go into the light then do not have anything to do with them they've been given numerable chances to do so yeah in the last episode we talked about how you know paul has sent young titus here to work with these cretans and this is not a don't cast your pearls to swine ministry um, it's, it's work with them, believe that they can actually be holy because mm-hmm. what in verse three, we were once foolish. Yes. So yeah, they are too. But then in verse eight, he says, avoid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Um, and then verse 10, the person who stirs up division, who that that's going to be the person who focuses on those things who focuses on bringing controversies genealogies maybe we'll discuss that in a moment Mm -hmm. um dissensions and quarrels about the law the person who does those things they are stirring up division in the church body paul says in verse 10 after warning the person who stirs up division twice and have nothing more to do with them Mm. and that's a pretty hard message but in reality you think okay well if i actually communicate clearly with integrity if i tell someone hey these things that you're focusing on they're not actually helping anyone Mm -hmm. and the way that titus would have likely warned them is it would have been a conversation it would it would not have just been like hey you're saying stupid things you need to (laughs) stop it right now no titus probably probably would have 
Yeah, he probably would have composed himself just as Paul told him to uh, in 2, 1 through 10. And in verse 7 there, Paul says to Titus, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that's how Titus is going to call these people out. Mm -hmm. He's not just telling them two words, shut up. He's actually, no, he's speaking in self-controlled dignity and explaining his his framework too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and bringing them to the truth is ultimately the hope that they would be sound in the faith instead. So I I think now we can move on to some application points. The rest of the book is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Some final instructions. Yeah. For Titus. Three twelve through fifteen. It's like, hey, I hope you can come visit me. Send my lawyer. Um, why? Oh, because I'm on house arrest. So yes. yeah. <laughs> okay, what is interesting about that in three twelve, it's saying like he's going to send either Artemis or Tychicus to him. And at that point, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. That could, just speculation, maybe be something where Titus is able to check in with Paul and there's someone who can be in his stay maybe for the time that he's gone. as like watching over the church. Could be, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, the final instruction, I would say, in is in 3.12. Paul says, it's almost like more, more like gentle advice, but this is the final application piece from Paul. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. 314. Yes. 314. I'm not sure what I said. 312. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. So this whole book is about what, if you weren't going to call it Titus, what would you call it? (laughs) Uh, the letter of Paul to Titus. Just kidding. Um, if you were to call this book something different, I think that it would be live out godly lives zealous for good works in reflection of the good work that christ has done so this is more rambling on the title i would say but um live out lives of godly living in a reflection of christ saving you and knowing that you will be brought to eternal life with him so a really simple way to put that is sound doctrine yeah (laughs) <laughs> go ahead <laughs> uh if you have sound doctrine you're going to produce good works yeah so this is why we see rebuking this is why we see all these things um so let's just work backwards from this point and cover some application pieces um so the the whole message of the book is hey titus train these people to have sound doctrine what's mm-hmm. our takeaway oh we can do the same thing um, and if yes. you're wondering, you know, what stage of life you're in, what should you be doing, what should some general goals be, go ahead and check out 2, 1 through 10. We have instructions for older men, younger men, older women, younger women. And those are pretty general. By the way, if you have questions about that, please just mm-hmm. contact us, ask us. I believe we have an email address in our description on Spotify. Yes. And some of those things listed in chapter two can also be especially helpful culturally specific to where they are, but it doesn't mean that they're not helpful for today. Um, Each of these things, even though they're written to people in the Cretan culture, can be extremely helpful. Um, 
and just each type of person in the church body living out godly living. Yeah. Okay, so those application pieces. So Titus 3.10. As for the person who stirs up division after warning them twice, have nothing more to do with them. How do you warn someone? How do you talk to someone about stirring up division? I think it's a conversation. So mm-hmm. this starts with actually building a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so It takes time. It takes investment, not just one conversation, most likely. Yeah. First, you want to understand why they're saying these things. So that can start with a simple, hey, let's grab coffee. I want to hear more about your opinions and why you think what you do and oftentimes people in 2023 that's when we're recording this they don't really know why they believe what they believe so you can just hear them out and then you can say oh well i follow jesus like do you want to hear more about why i believe what i believe okay well here's jesus we have evidence that he lived on this earth Mm-hmm. He died. He was resurrected. The Gospels and Acts, by the way, are indisputable eyewitness evidence. Anyone who tells you otherwise, I think, is just really silly. Um, but that's what those were written to be. They're eyewitness evidence of his... Yeah, testimony. Yeah. And these people who wrote the Gospels, they really lived. This is not just some book that we believe in. But I think that warning people, you know, if if it has to be something that's brief and distant then that's what it has to be and that's really the last case scenario but you always want to do these things by getting to know someone and if you already have a relationship or if you've built it far enough then you actually have the conversation and talk about you know what they should be acting like Mm -hmm. um which is a person who is justified in Jesus and who is doing life with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. not stirring up divisions. So that's a pretty simple definition, I would say. Um, so that's one application piece, I think, how to have those hard conversations, how to, quote, warn people, as Paul says in 2.10. And then the other application, I think, kind of wrapping up a few things we've talked about. So Paul, in different words, talks about how we are saved. We are justified by Jesus. We are mm-hmm. being saved. That's being sanctified by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's an everyday process. Mm-hmm. And we will be saved from death and judgment at the end. So basically, we will be saved from death and sin. And that's all talked about in this big paragraph, 3 1 through 11. But Kelsey, I think if you can take us through some application on to 11 through 14 that appeared an appearing thing yeah i think that just a good start to application for this could be an evaluation of what you think grace is what you think jesus came to do um and is your definition your standard of what grace means is it christ or is it something else um if you it it, it can just be something really common uh, to misuse what this word really is supposed to mean, I think. Um, And consider, like, have you thought, like, do I need grace? Do I need to give grace to others, etc.? And if you exchange those words to be, well, do I need Jesus? Do I need to express Christ to others? You'll have a very different answer, most likely. 
Um, so evaluate and consider uh, what you think grace is and if you equate it with Christ himself, that he is the fullness of grace. Yeah. Yeah, that evaluation is going to be key. Whenever we teach this to a public audience, when we go through 2, 11 through 14, we normally end up getting teary-eyed talking about Jesus, mm-hmm. how he has already appeared. He's training, but then he will appear again. And that's just like common core theology. It's the most basic, um, but it's yeah, so you, beautiful. You really can arrive at that just by... And really most anything else that we've talked about here, just by learning to slow down as you read and see what's really there and what the author is doing, the connections he's making, the things that he's repeating, that's really all you need, honestly, to be able to start studying the Bible well. And that's why we are making these podcasts, is to help you, whoever you are, to slow down, just observe and then mm-hmm. interpret and apply that's how we were trained um, and we just want to share that with the church mm-hmm. so that has been the book of titus we've gone through chapters one two three we've talked about this main idea of uh, if you have sound doctrine it will show in good works and good works are only possible because of the incredible grace with the appearing of Jesus because he is grace so thank you for joining us with Titus and I think next time will be maybe a surprise of what book we go through first so we'll see you next time on the bread and butter bible podcast yeah bye guys we'll see you next time